Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Jim Barton. I'm here with Reverend Abigail Conley. And this is another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. So, first off, full disclosure, we're actually doing this at a Starbucks. So, I feel like a little bit of a fraud, but I, I guess our, our numerous fans will get over it. Yeah. All right. We're good. <laughs> I brought Bailey's to spike the hot chocolate. Oh, you did? Okay, good. All right. So the um, so the topic for today is we're going to talk about um, secular kings, and essentially what we mean by that is how God's people dealt with a king that was not God's king. And so um, I think we'll sort of trade off on going through these, but what you'll basically find is in the scripture, we've got a lot of stories about dealing with Pharaoh from a lot of different people. Then we kind of, just as sort of the geopolitical world um, saw, there's some stuff with the Babylonians and the Persians, and then we have a lot of dealing with Caesar. So we're going to talk about how different characters in the Bible dealt with these different um, kings. And so we're going to start off with the patriarch, specifically Abram. And so we have Abram and Pharaoh, and then later there's a story of Abraham after he becomes Abraham, and Abimelech. And then, P.S., weirdly, the story gets repeated with Isaac. Right. And um, the story is this. When they come across the foreign king, um, they offer Sarah or uh, Rebecca to uh, be with as his wife. I mean, they don't say knocking boots, but, I mean, basically, that's the... Here is a concubine you may borrow for a yeah. while. And um, Abraham specifically says to both people that it's okay because Sarah is his sister. This is my sister. Right. And she can be with you. And in both cases, um, they find out that uh, Sarah is not his sister. Although, then he says, well, actually, technically, she is my half-sister. Which is, this is a very creepy story from top to bottom. Um, but in any case, I'm going to put this under the submission column. That basically, when faced with a foreign king, they were submissive. Right. And they are also willing to trade goods, because, I mean, patriarchy, women are goods, to get the favor of the person who's ruled there. Right. Then we've got um, Joseph. And uh, uh, I'll let uh, Abby tell us about Joseph. So Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. They're jealous. They toss him in a pit. He... um, then gets purchased, pulled out by slave traders. They sell him to the pharaoh eventually. He ends up rising up to second command in the kingdom. And he does that through interpreting dreams and a few different things. But by the time he encounters his brother again, they don't even know it's him. Because one, they assume he's a slave or dead. And two, he is seemingly so thoroughly assimilated into the Egyptian culture that they don't recognize him. And so that's an interesting, that's interesting for a lot of ways. One thing is because he's a slave, quote slave, mm-hmm. interesting if we should translate the word that way, because it carries such baggage from chattel slavery in the United States, which right. it is not. Chattel slavery that exists in the United States is relatively a blip in this history of slavery. Slavery was much more through conquest. Yeah. And so throughout history, especially in biblical history, the most educated people in the Bible are also slaves. Right. And that is just so strange when you're sitting in a U.S. context of slavery and yeah. chattel slavery and intentional education. So, so, that's, so that's one thing. I mean, and then the other thing is, yeah, he does seem to assimilate into the culture right. and rise to the top. So much so that he can save his people. Yeah, that's I mean, right. that's where that ends up, is that, oh, there's a famine. You can come here. You'll have enough to eat. Here's a place where you can He's live. also falsely accused of rape. Mm-hmm. How, how did that not come out in the, in the Kavanaugh trials? <laughs> or the Kavanaugh confirmation? right. I don't think these people know their Bible as much as I think as they say. All right, then we've got Moses, 
which um, so Moses of course is connected to Joseph in the uh, narrative because right. the idea is that Moses is from one of the Hebrews that is now living in Egypt because they were brought in with the other patriarch right. that's like the the jump from the patriarch stories right. to the and then enough time has passed the pharaohs have come and they've forgotten right they've forgotten Joseph so now they've got to fend for themselves right that's so Moses ends up in the palace actually because the pharaoh's daughter takes him out so Moses is starts off as like poster boy for assimilation right and then um, he leads his people to freedom. So, and then we were trying to discuss, is that violent resistance or nonviolent resistance? I mean, the, you know, all the firstborn children end up dead. But all Moses of Pharaoh's army ends up dead. But Moses isn't the one to do it. It's right. the God who does it, in air quotes. Yahweh took care of that. So I don't know if Moses is a... I mean, I, I'm being silly. I think the story in the Bible is obviously... I guess that's supernatural... It uh, is. Resistance. It's a supernatural resistance. Yeah. Um, it also, I think, is worth noting it comes with a revelatory moment. Because yeah. before, kind of in between, Moses recognizes, oh, the Hebrew people are being treated like this. His mom and sister are there taking care of him. Yeah. And open his eyes to this so much so that he kills one of the Egyptians. Right. That's right. All right. So then we have a period when we're our own country... And so it's God's people with God's kings. And there's a little back and forth there. It's not super interesting. I mean, it's not surprising that everybody's a good king if they keep true to the Hebrew law. And he's a bad king if they assimilate. Right. So, like, for example, if you were an elected president and you let the United States become a client state of a former evil empire, as an abstract example, that would make you a bad king. Right. All right. Well, anyway, that's not we're talking. Also, it's worth noting with the kings, apart from the evil empire there, um, that God told them, "Hey, if you get a king, this is this is going to be a pain in your butt. Like this is going to go yeah, that's a back good point. and forth and back and forth." Because even with the the establishment of a king here, there's this idea that no, no, you're supposed to be following God only, and this is your own problems that you're working through. Uh, right. In the whole book of Judges is why you need a king. Right. But the books leading up to it is, or uh, in, in Samuel particularly, is all about how a king is a bad idea. Right. So, all right. So then let's talk about Esther. Nope. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Esther. So I'll let you do Esther. So um, Esther is living in a kingdom that is not her own, and she ends up being married to the king. And all of the Jews are going to be killed, except for someone comes to her and says, hey, you've got to stop this. You're here for such a time as this. And she, like most prophets, is a little bit resistant and those sorts of things, but then reveals herself as a Jew and yeah. manages to save her people through that. And, right, so she starts out, really, is like ultimate assimilation. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then through the big reveal I don't know is it resistance I mean she convinces the king to save her people it's, I don't know if that, I don't you call that it's, I don't know if that's resistance I don't know it's I a think weird I think that is a move to um, coexistence because yeah that's right so much of so much of kind of when we talk through the biblical narrative is the idea that only one faith can exist and the idea that multiples can exist in one place isn't particularly dominant in history. Right. We much more tend to like to wipe out the other guys. Okay. 
All right. So then we have this period where um, all the cool Billy, uh, all the cool uh, um, uh, Johnny Cash songs come from, like you know Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, and you've been weighed and measured, all that. Yeah. So we have um, Daniel, uh, the book of really these both are from the book of Daniel. So Daniel starts off. Um, when he's in exile, he trains his guys to basically keep kosher, and they still are good, strong, strapping young men guards, and that's impressive because he's able to obey God's law in the present. So that's kind of like a... He refuses to take on their customs. Right. Then we get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the ones who would rather die then end up following another god and bowing down. And so they end up tossed into a fiery furnace and then all of a sudden everybody's bowing down to God instead. Right. Because when you don't die and the people who threw you are dead... And there's a fourth in the furnace with them. Right. So, right. So that's overt non-violent resistance, I think. Like, they they just said no. Right. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do it. All right. Coming back from exile, we've got Ezra and Nehemiah, and Cyrus is the king, Persian. I work with a guy who wants to make sure we recognize it as the Persians who sent, who restored, let the temple be rebuilt. They should get some credit for that. Uh-huh. And um, they seem to be, coexistence is what I put down for them. Yeah, and they are very happy to coexist, including the fact that Cyrus gets kudos from the people for hey, you're, we're going to rebuild your temple, and we're going to let you do that, and we're going to coexist rather than part of our control of you is that you don't follow your customs and your God. Right. Okay. Yeah, and frankly, again, that's Cyrus. I mean, that's frankly that's the way the Persian Empire operated. Right. Made that possible. Yeah. Then we have, fast forward to the, um, um, to Caesar and the New Testament. And Jesus' relationship with how you deal with a non-godly king is confusing, I think. Yeah, and before we talk about some of those non-godly king things, culturally Caesar is king. Um, Or culturally Caesar is God, sorry. That there is divine rule and this person is synonymous with God. So that matters in the context of this whole conversation that there's a deity and a king rolled into one. And it seems to me that, like, one, you can make one argument that Jesus just says, ignore, ignore the secular leaders. Right. Right. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God. P.S. Everything is God's. Right. Um, my kingdom is not of this world. What about be in the world but not of the world? That's similar, right? Right. Of, like... Don't get polluted. Don't... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, the march on Jerusalem, to me, is a pretty obvious nonviolent resistance. Yeah, and I, you know, that's a very Marcus Borg kind of pitch that this is, there's another triumphal entry going on somewhere else with war horses and all of these things, and Jesus is riding it on a donkey. Um, And at the very least, it makes it clear that if this guy is king, it doesn't look like the other one does. Um, There's a pretty deep call to not be violent in the same way to not take up swords to not to not lead that revolution I think Borg certainly emphasizes that with his stuff about the other entry at the same time Um, but I think even in the scriptural context it is a triumphant entry right it is it is a a declaration of Christ's kingship 
in the presence of where the other, you know, like, I mean, in the right. face of the other king. I in mean, the face I, of the other king, in the face of the people who are supporting the other king and yeah. keeping things going locally and, quite frankly, are scared for their lives if they don't keep things locally right. under control. Right. And then, of course, with Jesus, we have the foundation of the faith is supernatural resistance in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, Jesus, in the, you know, for all kinds of reasons, we get away from the fact sometimes that Jesus was killed by the state. Right. The government killed Jesus. He was executed through lawful capital punishment. And um, it didn't work. It didn't take. Right. So. It didn't take the, you know, the stories that get, or the teachings that get spun out of that from Peter are that not only did it not take there, the devil's kingdom gets ransacked. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be clear, all of a sudden, yeah, th- this this isn't working anymore. And the powers that be, what seems to be in control, is all of a sudden destroyed. Right. Okay. Unfor- you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we don't end with the teaching of Jesus, right? Um, we're talking about Christianity. We also have Paul's attitude. And Paul um, does not seem to be ready to, I mean, take this army of the dead that Remember all those people rose from right. the dead on the crucifixion? Right. He, Paul does not seem willing to like muster the army of the dead and go like overthrow the Romans. Right. Um, and in fact, he owns his own participation. It's like, no, no, I participated in the stoning of Stephen, and I did this, and um, boasts of being a Roman citizen. I can go wherever. And yeah. Even, you know, when we talk about Christianity, would Christianity have spread as much if it weren't for Paul? Probably not. If Paul had not been a Roman citizen, could he have traveled to spread Christianity? Probably not. So the empire and the gospel work hand in hand in that particular person. Yeah. Some old white dudes in the 50s identified Muhammad as the most influential person in history because um, it took Jesus and Paul to spread Christianity. So that's why they gave the nod to Muhammad. I think just to be troublemakers, honestly, but that's that's, that's what they Uh came up with. And then we've got... John the Revelator, we get Revelation, which um, does not seem to have a very positive attitude towards the uh, principalities of the day. No, throw it, overthrow it. There's a serpent coming. Right. Yeah, we're done. Right. Whore of Babylon seems like a mean way to refer to your opponent. <laughs> it's not very polite. It's, it definitely lacks civility. Uh huh. And so, um, so we have, but as we've pointed out elsewhere, um, it's not really a call for violent overthrow. It doesn't seem to be. I mean, it's certainly... It's hard to know what these apocalyptic pieces because they're written in such metaphor, using such symbolism. But I didn't read... I don't read Revelation as calling for violent overthrow. Right. I think one of the things that we really struggle with where we occupy time is that Christianity in the U.S. has become synonymous with being good citizens. Yeah. And that's a pretty dominant narrative from Protestant churches that put flags in sanctuaries... We're here where Mormons settled fleeing persecution, and a very real teaching of the Mormon church is, no, we are good citizens. and The Constitution is somewhat divinely inspired because it makes the Mormon church possible. Right. Yeah. That's right. I, and so I think that, so when we think about where do we fit, where does our, in the United States, where does our relationship fit within this? Frankly, assimilation is probably what most churches practice. Assimilation is definitely what most are practice because there's still the understanding of ourselves as a Christian nation, apart from being founded with slavery, apart from what we do to the poor people, 
apart from all sorts of things that we don't bother that would indicate we actually have Christian values. Um, so, yeah, we don't. Have, been, yeah, yeah, we don't. Um, we also don't have jubilee. Right. Right. We also don't forgive debts every seven years. Um, frankly, I'm dealing with a case right now about uh, a statute of limitations thing that the courts in Arizona have systematically made it more and more difficult just because it's bad for the banks if you interpret the laws as written, so they have to fix that up. And like, I mean, right. um, it, it, it is hard to understand. If you, if, you were to, if you were to read through the founding of the United States, I think it's very hard to find something that you can point to and say, well, see, they did that, and that's a Christian value. Right. The problem is they were all Christians, and so we kind mm-hmm. of... Or deist. Right. We read back into it. But still a Christian deist. I mean... Fair enough. That's where it's like, yeah, there's Christian atheists, there's Christian... Like, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, you're that's reacting right. against. Um, so that kind of... There's this ethos that mirrors some of those underlying values. And it's also like we didn't... Nobody said, hey, we really need to take care of poor people. I think there are Christians now who are and have always been who have in the minority but who are saying this that we do have to take a more um, conscious nonviolent resistance standpoint yeah and what is now movements that have now become Unitarian Universalist United Church of Christ some of the Reformed churches the Anabaptist movements quite frankly mm-hmm. all identify themselves with no we do not assimilate we have we have specific things we care about, and we work to move those into the broader culture. And I think within the Disciple Church, I think um, the Poor People's Campaign does have that ethos. Right. It's harder to talk about what the Disciples Church is doing as qua Disciple Church because of our polity. Right. Which makes it impossible to say that Disciples Church does anything as the Disciple Church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true for lots of churches, quite frankly, denominationally. Mm-hmm. But there are pockets. It's the same way we're reading back into history to say, oh, yeah, the United Church of Christ was very deeply involved with abolition. Well, there was no United Church of Christ at that point. <laughs> the churches that became that were, were the ones that were, yeah. Yeah. The Unitarian Universe the ones that became that were very involved in abolition. And, you know, it's interesting, too. Um, <laughs> as disciples, sometimes we brag about the fact that our denomination stayed together during the Civil War. But I don't think that's something to be proud of. I mean, I think that is, that's, um, yeah, that is that sort of not being the, not resisting, not standing up to. Right, when the thing that gets named if you visit Cane Ridge is, oh, there's a balcony because we always have people of both races in worship together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But. <laughs> All right, well, that's nice. I feel like there's, a, there's an underlying thing you're missing there. Right. And, um,. You know, I do think the church's ability to speak to issues like racism um, require us to go back and call on the scriptural stories about resistance. Um, so, I guess last little wrapping up topic here, we're going pretty long, but is, I don't know that this, I think it's hard to know what the scripture teaches about how to respond to non-godly kings, because I think there's, I mean, if we look at these stories, plenty of them are certainly not instructive. Right. Nobody nobody who wrote down, we've talked about that we don't understand why it was so important to capture the whole give your wife to the foreign king narrative. Multiple times. But it's in there three times. Right. So it evidently felt it was important. Right. Maybe the women had more to do with this than we thought, and they're like, no, you won't take that out. Put that story back in. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. But I mean, I think a lot of these things, it's hard to tell what's the, what is the teaching and what is the description. So I think it can be tricky to just pull that from the Bible. 
It can. And um, I think what we learn from that is that the relationship between God's people and the government should be complicated and should be up for discernment and ongoing prayer and hope for revelation because clearly at different points in time different things have been needed all right well i think that'll that's a great way to wrap things up um and so i'm sure we'll be continuing we have to we haven't figured out our schedule for the new year yeah but we'll come up with new episodes for that and um until next time cheers